Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Amen. Well, this week we're continuing with our backpacking series. How many of you have enjoyed this series as we walk through First and Second Peter? You know, I, I love the reflections of, of Peter. And as we laid it out, we came to the chapter that we're coming to this week in Second Peter, and it talks about false teachers. And you know, I th- as I looked at it, I thought, what a great opportunity to have our group director get up and talk about the importance of having people who teach us knowledgeable in the Word who are keeping us on the track. So if you haven't had a chance to meet her yet, I know that you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, today we have uh, Dr. Kim Martinez. She's our, our group director. Yeah, give it up. Give it up for Dr. Kim. And uh, many of you may not know this, but, uh, but Kim is also an ordained pastor with these Assemblies of God. And she came to us. Woo-hoo, I heard that. And what uh, she came to us now uh, several months ago. And said, you know what, I, I, I would just, I'd love to just volunteer and, and I have these hours to give. How can we use them? And as we talked about it, we're like, we would love for you to be involved in overseeing our groups ministry. We had an opening come up. And so I'm just excited, uh, Dr. Kim, to hear from you today. And uh, I know you've whooped it up already, but let's welcome her again, Dr. Kim, as she presents. Good morning. I was curious... How many of you love backpacking? That's a really good percentage. (laughs) How many of you would like to like backpacking? (laughs) I have fit into both categories in my life. As a teenager, I went on two backpacking trips, early teens, and they were week-long backpacking trips. And our pastor led the trips, and he would take us in. The first year, I remember, it was 13 miles in and 13 miles out. The second one was, was longer, and it was, it was a longer trip, but it was longer in a couple other ways, too. My dad came on this trip, and I wasn't the youngest. I was the youngest on the first trip, but the second trip, I was kind of um, in the middle of the ages, and, and my, but my dad came along, and so... It was, a, it was a great trip, and I remember the middle. The middle days were always my favorite because I'd be in the lone in the woods. Um, a lot of the kids that were more active would go off on a hike, and so I'd have total silence for hours and hours, and it was fabulous. And, um, and so, but on this second trip, on the way out, our leader decided to take a different route than we'd come on the way in. And I remember that day. It was a hard day. It was a lot of straight uphill work. And my dad was right in front of me. And it would just, I just remember I was so focused on just taking the next step that I would just watch the feet in front of me. And every once in a while, my dad would turn around, hold on to my pack. Well, you know, when you've already got several pack, pounds on your back, to hold on to somebody else means you have to lean forward to do it. So it wasn't really helping me, except that it, somebody else cared enough to think that I needed a toe, and that helped. Um, but, and I just, every, I will always remember 
how hard that uphill was because I was praying for just one step down. It felt like if I could get one step down, I would have relief, and then I could go for a few more up. Well, I think in life, a lot of times we get through those spaces that we just are praying for one step down. We aren't able to look at the bigger picture, and we aren't able to see where we're going. We're just following the feet in front of us, and we're looking for any relief possible. And it's important to know where our guides are going. It is, because we got later in the day And we were in a ravine and resting, and all of a sudden my dad says, you know, he doesn't know where we are. (laughs) And I went, what? (laughs) And my dad, who'd been watching, he'd been watching the guide, he'd been watching the trails, he knew that we were lost. And pretty soon, they all had the map out and the compass, and they were figuring out where we were, and they, they got us out of the woods, and it was good. But it's easy to follow people and then find out that they weren't headed where they thought they were, and now neither are you. And so today we're going to look at this. We're going to look at false teachers and false teachings and how to know where, um, if we're following the right thing. Now the year was 67 to 68 AD, and... Here's the truth. Me and technology just now did not get along very well. So um, I'm doing this from memory. 67, 68 AD, and Nero had been king for about 12 years. And he, not king, but, you know, the Roman equivalent. And he, he's on his, and 68 was when he was done. But also in 66 AD, Florus plundered the temple, and the great revolt happened, which was in Jerusalem, which meant, now the, the Christians had scattered all over the place, but when they had doctrine questions, they went back to Jerusalem, where the council was, to say, hey, what about this? Well, now Jerusalem's a war zone. In fact, I thought that the revolt would be something like you know, the freedom fighters. They're jumping out and making it bad, hard for the Roman soldiers. No, they actually minted their own coins. This was, this was a little bit bigger than just a little revolt. And this is, uh, the picture here is a silver Jerusalem shekel from the first Jewish revolt. And the inscription on the front says shekel of Israel year three and the back is Jerusalem the holy. That's just for those of us who like fun old things. Um, but I just, this was so, Jerusalem really was, it was in upheaval, and it wasn't where you would go to find out anything because you wanted to stay away from there. On top of that, Peter and Paul, who were the leaders, were, um, were both in prison and about to die. And Peter's writing what we believe is his last letter, because he says he's about to die, and he wants to lay a foundation for where are you going to get the help How are you going to know that you have sound teaching going forward? And so we're seeing in this this chapter where he's, he's talking through this. He wants to give them some guidelines so that they look and they're able to make sure that their guides and their teachers are following the right maps. You know, today we need this as well. We may not have... Um, they had a, 
uh, teachers who would go from church to church, and you could tell they're teaching from that. Well, we have the internet. We bring everybody into our home. And we might grab a teaching from here and a teaching from here, and then this one sounds really good, and, and this one made us feel good on a day we were feeling bad. And how do we know what trail all these are leading down? How do we know that they're leading us where we need to lead? So let's start with the scripture. We're going to read the first three verses of 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has, been, has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. This is just the introduction. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk today about uh, false teachers briefly. And then we're going to talk about what entices us to follow false teachings. Because a lot of this happens inside of us. We're the ones who listen and feed it. And in my study, I think most of the false teachers we have today started out truly following Jesus. And then they started listening to things they didn't need to be listening to that took them down a wrong road. So we want to, we want to, this is where, this is where the decisions are made. Now I am banging something. I don't know what that is. Okay. So quickly, this is, this is how Peter identifies false teachers. One, they sound good. They sound good. Watch out for their heresies. Their heresies will bring destruction, but they sound good. Number two, and this is the key to the whole thing, they don't rely on the sovereignty of Jesus. Pastor Michael, that song, that last song was perfect. Christ the cornerstone. If it doesn't lean on Jesus, it's not sound doctrine. And we're going to circle back to that again in a minute. And then they bring a bad reputation on Christianity. You know, we know in the news today a lot of, a lot of, what we know is weird Christian teaching has brought Christianity in a, in a bad light in the world. They're out for themselves, greedy for their own gain, and they're bold and arrogant. Down in verse 10, he says they're bold and arrogant, taking on authority that isn't theirs. So what's so enticing about false teaching? This isn't new. Paul and Peter both were fighting against false teaching. Paul fought against false teaching primarily from the Judaizers. They were people who said, you know, you really need to follow the Jewish law in order to be a Christian. And that, those are the teachers that, that Paul really fought against. And he says, I have two scriptures where he talks. He says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We want to say, if I mean well, then I will be okay. But the truth of the matter is, is that we all have tendencies that would draw us into what feels good. Now let's look at Eve for just a second, because here's what, something I've been thinking through, and you can weigh it for yourself, but Eve 
I don't think the actual sin happened when they took a bite of that fruit. I think it happened a little bit before then because the serpent said to Eve, God might not, so you need to. God's holding out on you, so you need to do for yourself. Or as Benjamin Franklin says, God helps those who help themselves. And they believed it. Eve could have said, he says that you're holding out on me. What is this? But she didn't take it back to God. She believed it, made a wall, and did for herself. And that's what we do. Second Timothy, Paul fights the false doctrines a lot. In Second Timothy chapter four, he says, for the time, and verses three and four, he says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So what is it the tendency in us that does this? Well, scientists talk about cognitive biases, and I, I looked it up and thought it would be fun to, to talk about and then discovered there's like 17 or 34, depending on who you're listening to, number of cognitive biases. So the bottom line is, Cognitive bias means that we hear what we want to hear. And we listen to what we already agree with. We have a tendency to do this. We look for control. These are, these are, I'm looking through just a few things that we look at in this that will make us feel good, and, and they kind of feed into our own cognitive biases. We all want to feel like we're in control don't we? This is what the Judaizers had going for them. This is how you'll know you're okay. If you do A, B, and C, then X, Y, and Z will happen. And we all create these systems of rules in our lives that become the focus of our activity, and therefore we're relying on them to feel okay, and we have now forgotten about God. We can take great spiritual truths and then say, this is how you do it, and I'm okay if I do this. And we totally wipe out depending on Jesus. And if we're not bringing it back to Jesus, then we're feeding into the problem. Because we like control. We also like shortcuts. How many of you like shortcuts? Yeah, I like shortcuts. On that trail, I would have really liked a shortcut. <laughs> Shortcuts often in our relationship with Jesus look like someone says special knowledge. Here's the truth with theology. If nobody ever thought of it before, you should probably keep your mouth shut. <laughs> because there's probably a reason. And I've had things I found in scripture, but if I haven't heard it from somebody else, I don't repeat it until I can get confirmation from other theologians that what I'm seeing is accurate. Because I know my own mind, 
and I can make things up. Okay, they say there's two things that really are supposed to be outstanding. One, and, and you know, irrefutable. They say the numbers never lie. And they say the Bible is, is infallible. Those are both true, but you and I both know that we can make numbers tell any story we want to, and so can we make the Bible tell any story we want to. And that's what false teaching is. If it doesn't stand on the sovereignty of Jesus, if it doesn't take you back to the feet of Jesus, he's the one that I rely on. If he doesn't do that, then you're creating a story out of pieces of spiritual truths. Also, we follow success. We like success. And the funny thing is, I've seen over time, I think we make success up in our own minds. We decide what success looks like. But especially if they seem to have a special anointing that we, being ordinary, wouldn't have access to, then we take their teachings, with, sometimes without filtering, because we want to be successful. And we like to focus on the benefits of our faith. And there are benefits. In fact, even way back in the Old Testament, God said, if you do these things, these will be your blessings. But see, Jesus came to die to put us in relationship with God all the time. When Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil was ripped from top to bottom. I could just see God so excited standing on the backside of the veil. And then the earthquake happens because he is excited and, and the temple veil is ripped from top to bottom. Because up to that point, God among the people, his holiness would destroy them. But Jesus paid the price. And when Jesus went back to heaven, the Holy Spirit was sent to be among us. The Holy Spirit is active in your life and active in the people whose lives that you walk with. He is actively calling the world back to him. But we want to focus on the benefits instead of on the relationship. So the benefits are definitely there. There are benefits to following Jesus, and they're there in the Bible. But when we focus on the benefits, then we take our eyes off Jesus. And today, that might look like God loves everyone. And in the end, could a good God send people to hell? These verses seem to hold a couple of meanings, but one of them is that judgment is real. See, there's, this, there's some verses from 4 to 10 in, in 2 Peter 2 that are actually duplicated in Jude, almost like a definite parallel. And some of the phrases are exactly the same. And so what that tells us is that there was, it was a common teaching in that time that they were refuting. And I think that this section in this letter holds two purposes. One is definitely to refute the thought that there might not be a judgment. So I'm just going to give you the highlights rather than reading to you verbatim. In these verses, it says, if God didn't spare the angels when he threw them out of heaven, 
and if he didn't spare the ancient world from the flood, and if he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah from destruction, but he did protect Noah and those with him, and he did rescue Lot. Then, in verse 9, 2 Peter 2, 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true for those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and, desire and despise authority. In other words, although they had these false teachers and he's speaking against false teachers, I think he was warning them against hunting false teachers because it's easy for us then to switch our focus to, oh, that's a bad doctrine, that's, and focus on trying to find what's bad. He's saying, this is what he says to do with false teachers. He says, identify the false teaching, avoid it, and then pray because God will show it false. Leave it to the side. Don't go hunting it down. Don't go on a crusade. Just identify it, avoid it, and pray because God will show it to be false. So this next section, I tried to be fancy with backpacking things. Only reality will tell if this worked. <laughs> Tools for not getting lost. One is know the trails. And the trails in this are the character of God. If you don't know the character of God, you will be easily led astray by false doctrines. All these false teachings will easily lead you astray if you aren't centered and know the character of God. And how do we get to know the character of God? We read the Bible. If you don't know the character of God, if you can't automatically know, then you need to read the Bible. And in fact, Oasis is going to be starting in Genesis on this next group section. So you could start at the beginning. And the way they study is they will it, it will teach you how to study the Bible as you're going. Number two, pay attention to where you are. This one is, um, I think for some of us, a real thing. Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't be anxious for anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I think sometimes we hide where we're at from ourselves and from God. We might, we might have a situation that is overwhelming, but we decide how to feel and then fake it. Or we might suppress how we feel and push it down with various dependencies. Or we might have a feeling of disconnect and not really know where we stand, so we just kind of go along instead of taking everything to the feet of God and saying, this hurt. This hurts. I don't understand what you're doing. I am angry about this. This happened and I felt vulnerable. All these things, we sometimes hit these points in life and we just keep going and we don't take the time to bring it before God. And what happens when, that, when we do that is it starts to come out sideways and little things become big things. And, and somebody says something that they might have meant as innocuous and to you it's like they took a sledgehammer to you. These little things become big things, and what happens when we're in that state is that we grab for anything that makes us feel good, 
and we are very vulnerable to false teachings. The next thing is keep your eye on the compass. Listen to the voice of God. Now, this is kind of fun. Um, In Acts chapter 8, towards the end, Philip and the Ethiopian is the story that they're talking about. Now, it says that the angel of the Lord said to Philip, he's one of the apostles, and the angel of the Lord showed up one day and said, go to the road, the desert road, that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so Philip went. And then he gets there, and it says the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So go for a run, because the chariot's moving. And he did. And he has this interaction with the Ethiopian. He gets to share the gospel with him. The Ethiopian accepts the gospel and gets baptized. And as he comes up out of the water, then the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And Philip appeared at some place that I don't know how to pronounce and traveled about. He preached through the roads until he got back to Caesarea. That place was at. Azotus, I think. Here's the thing, is that we think of that, and that's nice, that happened. It would be nice if an angel of the Lord would show up. That, I don't think, happens too often these days. But the Spirit speaks to us regularly. And we can have adventures like Philip had, because the Spirit speaks to us. And he says, you know that person that was nasty to you? I want you to be nice to them. In fact, I had an experience like this in the workplace. I had a guy who, uh, our family has this weird anointing that people just open up their hearts and tell us things that they wouldn't tell their best friend out of the blue. And he did that one day in the elevator. All of a sudden, he just pours out his heart to me. And then all of a sudden, I was the enemy because he was embarrassed, I think. And he became nasty to me, just mean. And if I, he sat right behind me, we faced opposite directions, and if I spoke to my team, which was in the rest of our little area, he would growl. He was just awful. And one day I got into work and I heard him talking, and on the phone, he was in early too, and he was trying to set up an appointment to get somebody to walk around Green Lake with him after work. And then, and that person must have turned him down because then somebody from his department, the auditing department, came through and, and he tried to get them to do something after work. And they were already busy. He says, well, today's my birthday. And God said to me, I want you to get him a birthday cake. I was like, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> and then, so I made a deal with God because I was working at that point about 50-hour 50 50 weeks it was in a, in a crunch time, and I had worked there for two or three months, and I hadn't had lunch one single day. I couldn't step away. And so I said to God, sure, if you get me out of here at lunchtime, I'll go get a cake. I found out what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and sure enough, um, right around lunchtime, my mother-in-law calls and says, I'm at the doctor's office, and I need you to come take me back to the house because my in-laws were watching my children. I was like, really, God? So I took her, and then even as I'm driving back to work, 
I went by, uh, the, I was driving past a grocery store and he was talking to me. Get in there and get that cake. I'm like, I went past the store and came back to go in to get the cake. And I got the cake, and when I got to the office, he wasn't there, thankfully. And I <laughs> put it on his desk and went back to, and, and went and sat down. Pretty soon he comes along, and he's like, and he doesn't know what to do because there's a cake on his desk. And so he starts to, to move it into the break room, and I'm like, you know, that's for you. And, um, and he goes, what? And then somebody else caught, what? You have a cake? Yeah, today's his birthday. That particular office had usually celebrated birthdays, like big, like they decorated the cubicles, and nobody had known it was his birthday. And, but pretty soon, this guy who was isolated started to have people come over to his desk to get a piece of cake. And the whole office had a little party, and then people invited him out afterwards. And God put people around him because he wanted him to know that he wasn't alone. That's an adventure that we can have with God when we listen to his spirit. But see, if we're trying to make ourselves feel good, then we're pulling for things that feel good. And we're not listening to the spirit, we're listening, we're pulling, and we have a tendency to pull false teachings. And the last thing you can do, and you knew I'd get to this, is get in a group. In Exodus, Moses and Joshua, the whole nation is about to fight the Amalekites. And Moses says, go down in the valley and fight. And I will stand up on the hill and hold the, the staff of the Lord. Now, the staff of the Lord was what was evidence that God was moving. It's what Moses used to part the sea. It's what he used the first time when he did it right. He hit the rock and the water came out. It was evidence that God was doing it. And so when he said, I'm going to stand up on the hill with the staff of God, it is, I'm going to stand up on the hill and say, God is fighting this battle. We all have battles, don't we? And we have a tendency in ourselves to forget that God fights the battle because our arms get tired and we start to lower the staff. And then we might go to church and, and oh yeah, but Aaron and Hur came alongside Moses and propped him up and held up his arms so that he could hold up that staff and say, God is fighting this battle. And that's what being in a group of people that know you and will walk with you does. That's why we have groups ministries. It is so that we can study together and hear God's word but also so that we will keep each other focused on what really matters. And that is God is God and we are not. Christ is our cornerstone and we rely on him. And when we keep this flowing, instead of trying to protect ourselves, we, keep, we open up the ability for God to work through us on a daily basis and live in those adventures. And we get to know God more intimately because we're spending the time with him that is required for those deep relationships. So today we're going to give you an opportunity for reflection. And I have some questions for you. Do you know the Bible well enough to know when something's off? Do you have things that keep you from hearing God's voice? 
those things that say, I, I'm, I haven't quite taken this to him, and it's so loud, I can't hear his voice. Are there areas where you're trying to do it alone? Do you have people who know you and can point you to God? Do you talk to them regularly? We all have things that keep us out of that. But when we just say, yes, God, this is where I'm at, and we give him an opportunity to open that up and have and work through us and work in us, sometimes we're afraid to let people walk with us. And that's not, we can't fake, okay, I'm just going to be brave now. We have to let the spirit work up in us and through us. We have to let God change those things in us. That's what the time of reflection is for, whatever the thing is. We just take it to God and say, this is my truth and I need you to fix it. Because he's the one who changes things for us. Let's pray. God, you're God and we're not and we need your help. Because often we grab for things that make us feel good because we hope that they will just get us through another day and we forget that you're our source. You are our cornerstone. You're the one who can change things in us and you're the one who's doing the battle around us. And so God, today we bring our lives to you and we lay them at your feet. Fix this, God. Bring us in alignment with you so that we hear your voice and do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen.